Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. that we're as enthusiastic to hear God's word this morning, the word that is always right and true and good, the word that is always sufficient, the word that is a light and a lamp unto our path to guide us on our way through this life, the word which is powerful and transformative. The word that is always the right word just when we need it. That's the word that God gives us today. This is the word that we trust in, the word that we hope in, the word that we know will never lie to us is true and is the truth. Your word is truth. And so we pray, sanctify us. Sanctify us by your word. If you take your Bibles and turn to Exodus chapter 20, we've been making our way through the 10 words or as they are commonly known, what we commonly call them, the Ten Commandments. And this morning we come to the fourth word or the fourth commandment. And so would you stand with me as we read this section of Scripture today, Exodus 20, the first 17 verses. And as we come to the end... Verse 17, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and together we will say, thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that the days, of, that the days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, your word is like a hammer that can break to pieces things that are hard, shatter any hardness that might be in our hearts to make us more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. You may be seated. My friend and his family had just moved from California to the small town in Washington where I grew up. When one moves from sunny California to Washington, one finds that Washington isn't quite as sunny as California. In fact, it can be a shock to the system with the amount of rain you get, especially on the western side of the state. It can, it can affect many areas of life, but one area, one of the more mundane areas of life that it affects is finding those windows where there's no rain and your grass is dry enough for you to mow your yard. My friend had found one of those moments one afternoon and began to mow his lawn. However, it wasn't too long into mowing his lawn that he noticed a local police car driving down the road towards him. He didn't think much of it, kept on mowing his lawn. The police car ended up stopping in front of his house, and to his surprise, the officer had gotten out of the car and was motioning him to come over to him. So my friend stopped his mower, walked over to the police officer. What are you doing? asked the police officer to my friend. Confused by the question, my friend answered, I'm mowing my lawn. To which the officer replied, yes, well, you see, we've had a couple calls complaining that you are mowing your lawn. Now my friend was even more confused than ever. Complaining about mowing my Lawn in the middle of the afternoon on a sunny day? Can't I mow my own lawn? Asked my friend. The police officer replied, The problem isn't that you're mowing your lawn. It's that you're mowing your lawn on Sunday. Now, I can't make you stop 
But I'm just asking if you would consider waiting until tomorrow to finish mowing your lawn. My friend kindly said that he would, and he waited until the next day to finish his lawn. But this is one of the first introductions my friend had to the small town in which we lived, a small town where all of the shops were closed on Sunday, a town in which you could not even mow your lawn on Sunday for fear that you might get the cops called on you to stop you. Why didn't they like the lawns being mowed on Sunday? Why did they close all of the shops on Sunday? Why would they even say if you drove to the next town over and went to the mall on Sunday that you were sinning because you were making someone else work? It was because they thought that they were breaking the fourth commandment. The Sabbath commandment. So, was my friend breaking the fourth commandment? Should all shops be closed on Sunday? Should you not even go shopping on Sunday for fear of making someone else work? How are we to think about this word, this fourth commandment? How are we as New Testament Christians supposed to think about the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath still in effect for us today? Has it been replaced by Sunday? And if the Sabbath still is in effect for us, do we have a definite, clear, and understandable list of the do's and don'ts? Don't mow your lawn on Sunday. In order to understand this fourth word, we have to begin here in the ten words. We have to begin to understand its place in the ten words and it's the longest of all of the ten words. The most space is given to this Sabbath command. And as we begin to understand its place in the ten words, we will have to continue to expand our understanding outward to let the whole Bible speak to this word and to its importance in our life. In order to help us, we have to ask, what was the Sabbath for? What was its purpose? Why was it instituted by God in the first place? And only then we'll be able to grasp and see how these truths would inform the way that we live our lives today. So a few truths that come to us from this fourth word. You can follow along in your bulletin if that's helpful. Three truths that we'll be looking at. But the first truth is this. The Sabbath was focused on holiness. The Sabbath was focused on holiness. Are you a busy person? Are your days filled up with places to go, things to do, people to see? Do you find it hard to have a moment's peace? Do you feel ever like you are a circus performer who has those little sticks and on top of their sticks, all those plates are spinning around, and you're going from one stick to the next stick, trying to make sure that all of the plates keep spinning and none of them come crashing down. Who isn't busy? In fact, who would be embarrassed to raise their hand and say, I'm not busy? It's almost as if busyness is an ordinary state of being in our culture. If you aren't busy, something's wrong. 
If you aren't busy, get busy. And so many people push and push and push until they're crazy busy. Yes, crazy indeed. We are so busy that we've become enslaved to the tyranny of the urgent. Whatever is the most urgent thing in your life, oftentimes that's what we do first. But how many of us would ever like to admit that we are too busy? And if we're to that point, it might be too late. We might say, well, now there's nothing I can do about it except try to survive the vicious cycle of busyness that I'm in. And as the fourth word comes to us, we have this little question that comes to our minds. Are we mastered by time or have we mastered time? Time is an awful master. As we've moved through these 10 words, we've seen a progression. We began with who you worship. We're to worship God alone, the only one and true God. We've moved from who you worship to how you worship, so you do not worship with visible representations. We move to how you worship part two with reverent speech, not irreverent speech, so the words that you speak to now an even broader concept for the Israelites, it comes with this question, similar to the last question we just asked, who organizes and orders your life? Who is it that holds the reins of your life? The word of the Sabbath was to encapsulate the Israelites' life with God. What did their life with God look like? What did their living for the Lord look like? Would they organize and order and orchestrate their own lives the way they wanted? With what they thought was best? With what they liked according to their own design? Or would they confidently entrust their lives to the Lord and let Him orchestrate, organize, and order their lives according to His way? Maybe we could sum it up with this simple question. Would they live by faith in the Lord? How, again, we might do well to evaluate evaluate our own lives with this line of questioning. Who is organizing, ordering, orchestrating your life? Honestly. Whose will is being done in your life? Honestly. Who is the one who's holding the reins of your life? Honestly. And maybe if we bring these two thoughts together, if you would say that the Lord is organizing and ordering your life, has he ordained for you to be so busy? The fourth word comes to us as one of only two words that are positive. The fourth and the fifth commandments are the two commandments that are given in the positive. 
All the other eight words, you shall not, you shall not, you shall not. But the fourth and the fifth words tell us something that we are to do. For the Israelite, the word of the Sabbath was to be viewed as a positive. It was to be welcomed. It was to be filled with joy. It was to see the great benefit of what the Lord was giving them as they received this word. And so that's why I think it comes to us in the positive. When you're told to do something, how do you receive it? Oftentimes, how you receive it is how you're viewing it. If I receive something and I reject it, see it as bad, here the Lord opens his heart with this word so that the Israelites would open their heart to receive the word. The Israelites could have taken this word negatively. Why are you trying to control us, God? Why are you trying to dictate what we do on any given day? Why are you snooping into our Saturdays? Or they could have received it with thankfulness, seeing the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God that he was seeking to instill in their lives through this day. So how does the word begin? Remember the Sabbath. The word Sabbath means to stop or to cease. It's also become synonymous with the word rest. But before we even get there, we have the command and the command verb, the command word is remember. What does that mean, to remember something? Were the Israelites to tie a string around their finger or write Sabbath on the back of their hand so that whenever they saw the string or saw what they'd written on their hand, they'd say, oh yeah, I remember the Sabbath. No, it was this recalling to mind with the thought that there would be actions that would follow, the way that you would live your life. And so as you bring the Sabbath to mind, as you remember the Sabbath, it would lead to the way that they live their life. It led to actions. We can see something similar when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. What did he say? As you eat the bread and as you drink the cup, do this what? In remembrance of me. So there's the action, right? As we partake of those elements, that bread and that cup, we are remembering the Lord. So as to what? So as to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again, until he returns. So in this action of remembering, we're doing something, we're taking in and we're eating or drinking, and that action then is proclaiming, it's saying something to the world around us. And so as these Israelites live their lives, their lives were then to proclaim something about who God is. And maybe we could even say in this instance that the remembering of the Sabbath day even led to inaction. Don't do anything. Don't work 
Which leads us to this idea, why were the Israelites to remember the Sabbath? The second half of the verse here, so I'm in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day? Why? Why should we remember the Sabbath day? Why should they remember the Sabbath day? Here's the purpose, to keep it holy. It was a day that was to be sanctified, set apart, a day that was devoted to the Lord. They were not to treat this day like an ordinary day. It was a holy day, and so the people were to approach it quite differently. How were the Israelites going to keep this day holy? They were going to cease of all their work and all of their labor. Here's what I want you to do, Israelites. Don't do any work. Six days you can work. Six days you will work. Work on those days. Work with all your might. Work as unto the Lord on those days. Do your work as you remember that God was the one who designed work and gave Adam work to do in the garden, even though now we know this work differently in a fallen world. But the seventh day for the Israelites was a Sabbath day, And notice what it says here in verse 10. The Sabbath seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. It is designated as a day given to Yahweh. He is your covenant God. He is the one that has made promises to you and your life is to be lived for Him. He is the one that you're living in relationship with. And so this day is going to be lived in relationship with to the Lord by the way that you treat it, by the way that you don't do any work. He is the one with whom you have this close, intimate relationship. You know Yahweh, your God, to be a holy God. You will obey Him, and so you will stop your work on this day to glorify Him. And look at the extent. Look at the extent of who is to keep the Sabbath. It's given a, we're given a list here, aren't we? You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner within your gates. Summarize that. Everyone, everyone who is living in your midst, everyone living in the camp of Israel, everyone living or who will live in the towns and villages once they occupy the promised land, anyone who is living within your midst must remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And if you're a close reader, maybe you will ask the question, is someone missing from this list? There's someone who's not here? Anyone that you would see? Some might say that the wife is not mentioned. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, sojourner, all these people are mentioned. But some people might think, well, maybe the wife is left out. Is she left out because she's unimportant? Is she excluded from the rest? Is she to be slaving away in the kitchen? No. I would propose that she is included in the very first word of that list, you. In this way, Yahweh is addressing the men and the women together. Husbands and wives Hold this responsibility 
to make sure it gets carried out in their households and in the congregation. Addressing the wives in this way actually reflects the high status that they have. She stands in equal status before God, and God is going to hold them both equally accountable for their individual sins. This makes sense because this is the way that we've been reading our Bibles from the very beginning. What was the first commandment that God gave to Adam in the Garden of Eden? Do you remember that? Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God says this to Adam, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. When did God give that command to Adam? In the flow of the text, the Lord gives that command even before he had made the woman yet. And then what happens? God makes the woman, and what happens next? The serpent comes to the woman. Did God really say? And what does the woman respond? She takes it for granted that she's included in the you. That even though that command was given to Adam, maybe that command was given to Adam even before she had been made, that commandment was still for her. You shall not eat of any tree in the midst of the garden or this tree that's in the midst of the garden or touch it. And so she even includes herself. She reads it. She assumes that she's a part of the you. Even the serpent assumes that she's a part of the you. And so I would say the same thing here. These are the husbands and wives of the family who are addressed. First, the sons and the daughters the male servants, the female servants, even the livestock were to have a Sabbath day. Like, give your beasts a burden a day off. Give them a break. And notice this list. Towards the end, your male servant, your female servant, and the sojourner who is within your gates. Here is a very stark contrast to what they had come out of in Egypt. They had been slaves and servants in Egypt. They had been sojourners in the land of Egypt. They had worked their fingers down to the bones as slaves for the Egyptians and for Pharaoh. And God now comes to his people and says, you will not treat other people the way that you were treated back in Egypt. You will treat them fundamentally different. You will give them a day of rest. You will look after them. You will love them. You will care about them. Remember those days of no rest back in Egypt? Not anymore. Not among my people. The Sabbath was to be a reminder of God's grace. God's grace in bringing them out of Egypt. God's grace that he is going to bring them and lead them into the promised land. God's grace that he loves them and he cares for them. But this was also an opportunity for them to trust him. The Israelites live in, and they lived in an agrarian culture. It was a hand-to-mouth culture. They didn't have grocery stores. They didn't have freezers or refrigerators. 
to raid in the middle of the night. Their food was hand-to-mouth, which meant that how much you worked often correlated to how much food you had. And so for you to take a day off was a day that you weren't bringing in food. And we even remember this with the manna, don't we? Six days, you're to collect the manna. On the sixth day, you collect twice as much. And usually, if they kept the manna overnight, it would be filled with worms and stink and be rotten, so they couldn't use it. But on the sixth day, miraculously, overnight, the manna was preserved so that on the seventh day, they would have enough bread, enough manna. They would have to trust the Lord would provide for them. They could stop working. They could live by faith. And the Lord, who knew what they needed, would give them exactly what they needed. And look at the very last verse of this word, verse 11, the end of that verse. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This first word begins with the word holy and it ends with the word holy, but look at the difference. Look at what it says at the end. The Lord made the Sabbath day holy, but what were the Israelites to do? They were to keep it holy. And I think that's right. From beginning to end, this day was a day to be focused on holiness. Who is it that could declare a whole day holy? Who has the right and the authority to sanctify an entire day? Who is able to devote one day out of the week to himself? Only a holy God. God set the Sabbath aside for himself. And so when the Israelites kept this day, they were to focus or to refocus on holiness, and that holiness began with the holiness of God. God had the authority and the right and the ability to make the Sabbath day holy because he was holy. The day did not have any holiness because of its own existence. Only God could make it holy, and so the Israelites were drawn to the holiness of God, and it was also a reminder as they focused on holiness that they belonged to a holy God. And since they belonged to him, their lives were to be holy as well. And in this word, God makes a great distinction between the Israelites and the rest of the world. He had so ordered and patterned their life. He was so gracious and holy that he made them look different from everybody else. Their life was ordered by a holy and gracious God not a tyrant. And how many people might think that today if they were to think about a life ordered by God? If God is ordering and orchestrating our lives and tells us how he wants us to live our lives, is that coming from a tyrant? Or is that coming from a good and gracious God?
their lives, the way that they lived, proclaimed the truth about who their God was. And so the Sabbath was focused on holiness. Number two, the Sabbath was to point back to God's work of creation and redemption. The Sabbath was to point back to God's work of creation and redemption. One part of verse 11 we've skipped over so far, the beginning of verse 11, God gives the motivation to the Israelites as to why they were to keep the Sabbath. And so what does Yahweh do? He points them back to creation. He says, look back at Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. There you will find what I did on that seventh day. I created the world and everything that is in it in six days, and on the seventh day, I rested. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Was he tired? God never tires. The God of Israel never slumbers or sleeps. That's why he's so ordered and orchestrated our life to sleep. It's a reminder, you're not God. Every time you lay your head down on a pillow, it's actually fighting the idolatry of self. God was not tired on the seventh day. Why did he rest? His work was done. It was completed. He finished the work of creation that he had set out to do. And so then he rested. And what's even more interesting, as you work through the six days of creation, you hear this repetition and it was morning and it was evening the first day. And it was morning and it was evening the second day. And it was morning and it was evening the third day. And it was morning and it was evening the fourth day and the fifth day and the sixth day. But guess what? When you get to the seventh day, the Bible doesn't record that it was ever closed or that it ever ended. Interesting. Why is that? Why would it be that there was no morning or evening on the seventh day? Could it be to show that God did not need to get back to work? God had finished his work. There was no more creating to do. And so he continued to rest. Why does God point back to creation as a motivating factor for why the Israelites are to keep the Sabbath? Because it's this action of resting that is the godliest thing that they could do. It was the most God-like thing that they could do. Did they want to proclaim the truth of who God is to the world? Then do what God did. And what's more, he is the ruler and the creator and therefore the owner over all things. The Israelites and all of us are under his rule and his reign and his authority. So their very lives, our very lives are to be ruled by his life and what he has done. Did the Israelites think that they knew better than God? Would they say, we don't need rest, we don't need a Sabbath? If they would say that, what they're really saying is, we know more than God. We can get by without God. We can provide for ourselves. 
we really are better than God himself. Think about it. God created in six days and he rested on the seventh day. God is not a workaholic. The Sabbath was supposed to point the Israelites back to creation. It was to point back to what the Lord had done there at the very beginning of time. Remember, remember the Sabbath day and remember, Israelites, that God has made you for himself. He's made you for himself. You are not made to order God. God made you to order your life. And so that your life would revolve around him. And so Sabbath points back to creation. It also points back to God's redeeming work. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to a few books over. Deuteronomy chapter 5 gives us a slightly different perspective on the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5 verse 15. This second giving of the law, Moses again repeats these ten words, these ten commandments. And in Deuteronomy 5, 15, it says this, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Do you hear the reasoning there of why Moses says they are to keep the Sabbath? Because they were to remember that Yahweh was the great liberator. How is it, Israel, that you are able to rest? How is it that you can cease from your work? It's because God rescued you and ransomed you from Egypt. You are no longer slaves. That's why you can rest. And in this way, they were to highlight God's plan of redemption for the entire world. This is it. This is to show God's great redeeming plan. And it began with the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Before we move to the next truth, the next point in our outlines, we need to provide some transition. It comes with remembering that the Lord here on Mount Sinai is making a covenant with his people, he's cutting a covenant, making a covenant. And what do we expect? When God makes covenant with people, what happens? There's always a corresponding sign to that covenant. So God makes a covenant, he gives a sign. Let's think about this. God made a covenant with Noah and creation after the flood. What was the sign? A rainbow. God made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham. Through your offspring, all of the nations, all of the world will be blessed. All the families of the earth will be blessed. What's the sign? Circumcision. This day, this Sabbath day, for the Israelites became the sign of this covenant. Some people call this covenant the Mosaic covenant. I think better term might be the Israelite covenant, because this is a covenant that God is making with the Israelites. But this becomes the sign for this covenant. And this is, in fact, what we read in Exodus 31. 
Verse 12, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Again, focused on holiness. But this day, this Sabbath day, is to be the sign of this covenant. And what did those signs of the old covenant do? What were they meant for? They were meant to point forward to something greater, to the fulfillment of a greater reality. And that brings us to the third truth. The Sabbath was to point forward to its fulfillment in the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was to point forward to its fulfillment in the Lord of the Sabbath. The old has passed away. The old covenant was not meant to last forever. Paul in Galatians says that the old covenant, the law, was like a babysitter. It was like a guardian until the fullness of time had come. When did the fullness of time arrive? It arrived with the incarnation, with the first coming of Christ. We are no longer babies, we are mature adults, and it is Jesus himself who brings fulfillment to all these signs. They all point forward to something, to someone greater. And that's why Jesus says he is the Lord of the Sabbath. So take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, beginning in verse 23. Says this, One Sabbath he, that's Jesus, was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the disciples were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in, the, in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for anyone but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him? And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So what's happening in this event? Jesus' disciples are plucking grains of head, uh, grains of, of, of wheat as they go through the field and, and eating them. The Pharisees come and say, it's not lawful for them to do that on the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. And what the, what the Jews had done was they said, we don't want to even get close to the law, so we're going to try to put a hedge around it, and so we're going to make a few other laws right, to make sure that we don't even get close to this. And so they would have to think of things like this, man-made rules, so that they wouldn't even get close to breaking the law. In fact, if you were to go to uh, places in Israel today, like a hotel that maybe had more than one floor, on the Sabbath day, they have Sabbath elevators. Now, a Sabbath elevator is an elevator that you get into and it stops on every single floor. Why is that? Because when you go into an elevator, what do you have to do? You have to press a button. 
one of the Sabbath laws is you shall not light a fire on the Sabbath day. And so the Jews have extrapolated that out to say you pressing that button connects that circuit of electricity in that box and is making a fire. So if you are practicing Jew, Orthodox Jew, you take the Sabbath elevator that stops on every floor. Or maybe you ask for a room on the bottom floor. But notice what Jesus doesn't do here. You would think if this was a man-made rule, Jesus could simply dismiss it and say, well, this is a man-made rule. This isn't coming from the law in the Bible. But Jesus doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't quibble with the disciples over the law and what's lawful or not lawful. He could have done that. He knows the Bible. In fact, Deuteronomy 13 talks about even plucking heads of grain in the field. What does he do? He points to another event. Another event when David and his men are on the run from Saul. They go to this priest. They're in need. They're hungry. They don't have any food. And they don't have any weapons. And the priest gives them the bread of the presence. The bread that was supposed to be offered to the Lord gives them that bread for David and his men to eat. He gives them the sword of, of Goliath, right, there too as well. And you hear what Jesus said. It wasn't lawful for them to do that. Why could they do that? Why was it okay for them to do that? Because David did it. The Lord's anointed could do that. He could come in and he could say, we are in need and we are hungry. And as the Lord's anointed, this priest gave them these things and it was not breaking the law. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, there is a greater David and he's right here before you. You might think it was unlawful for David to do that back then, but it wasn't. Now there's someone even greater than David right here. The greater of David's son is standing in your midst. And I'm telling you this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man was not to be enslaved by the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not to dictate man, but, but, but the Sabbath was made for man. And then Jesus blows it up and he says, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He's saying to them, you are going to have to reinterpret this Sabbath in light of me because I'm the Lord over it. I have authority over it. I get to say what happens and what doesn't happen on the Sabbath. You have to listen to me now about what true Sabbath keeping is. And then what does he do? <laughs> Mark 3. Again, he entered the synagogue with a man... Uh, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. And so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And, they, and he looked around at them and with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus had just said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And then, it's like Mark knows, 
And so he just takes us straight into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus didn't have to heal this man on the Sabbath day, did he? He could have healed him on a different day, but Jesus purposefully healed him on the Sabbath day to show what the Sabbath day was really about. It was about restoration. It was about healing. It was about giving people what they really need. The only way to understand the Sabbath now is to understand the one who fulfilled the Sabbath, the Lord of the Sabbath. No one other than the Son of Man, the greater David, Jesus Christ himself. And it is because of the work that Jesus does, the work of ultimately dying on the cross, rising again from the dead, and ascending into heaven, where now all those who trust in him can know this rest. It is through Christ that restoration, heart restoration, happens. It is in Christ that people are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, Jesus Christ, where they can know full redemption, the complete forgiveness of their sins. It is in Christ that people are now made new creations. True rest, the rest we really need, only comes from Christ. The Israelites were to be a Sabbath-dependent people, just as we are to be a Lord of the Sabbath-dependent people. So what do we do with the Sabbath? What are we as Christians going to do with this fourth word from Mount Sinai? Well, there might be a few choices. First, we could follow it. Follow it the way that it's prescribed. Sabbath for the Jews is from sundown on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday evening. And the punishment for breaking the Sabbath, by the way, is death. We don't follow the first option. Another option. We could come to this word and say, well, uh, this word now is uh, on Sunday. So Sunday is the new Sabbath. What's interesting, though, is, is when you look at the New Testament... And the new covenant, in fact, Paul does this a couple times. He tells us about certain days and he tells us about the Sabbath day. So Romans 14, 5 through 6 says this. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. So Paul is saying some people uphold one day above others. Maybe the Sabbath. That's okay. He's not necessarily abolishing it there. He's saying some hold each day alike. One should be convinced in his own mind. And so I think even here, Paul is not calling for strict Sunday Sabbath observance. Or what about Colossians 2? Colossians 2, 16 through 17 Paul says this, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or a Sabbath. Why? 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance, he says, belongs to Christ. Hold on to the Sabbath? He says, you don't need to. Why? Because that was a shadow of what was to come, and the substance of that shadow now is Christ. You have Christ, so what? You don't need the shadow anymore. We don't have sacrifices. We don't sacrifice animals. Why? Because those just pointed towards the greatest sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so I think it's difficult for people who would come back and say, well, Sunday is the new Sabbath, particularly because we don't have any explicit text that would make this transfer. We don't have anything in the New Testament that would say, Sunday is the new Sabbath. So uphold Sunday as the new Sabbath. We do find in the New Testament Christians meeting on Sundays. We follow this pattern. They meet on Sundays. We continue to meet on Sunday because this is the day that Christ rose again from the dead. We don't meet on it because it is the new Sabbath. And in fact, what's interesting is if you look at the early church, even in the New Testament, in Acts, it appears that they would meet early in the morning and then they would work all day and they would come back and meet again at night. In fact, maybe one of the evidences is this. Is, do you remember one night the church was meeting and there was a man named Eutychus? And Eutychus fell asleep in the window? It could be he fell asleep because he'd been working all day. He fell out of the window. Uh, Paul came back and restored his life, I believe, at that moment. But it could have been that the, the, even Christians with the early church, they met on Sunday morning early, they worked, and they came back together and they met Again, in fact, we don't see the church making this argument for the Sunday being the new Sabbath at least until about 300 AD. 300 years after the church is established in Acts, we have Constantine who starts to maybe bring this idea into the church and really not heavily emphasized until the 17th century. Also, I would propose Sunday is not about what we don't do. Sunday is about what we do. With the Sabbath, it was don't work. But what's emphasized for us now is not so much don't work, but it is get together and worship Jesus Christ together. Get together and be confronted by the word together. Get together and sing together. Get together and pray together. Get together and worship together. Get together and fellowship together. The emphasis on Sunday isn't about what we don't do. It's about what we do and what we do together. Yet, for how many does coming together as Christ church on Sunday serve as an imposition on already a very busy schedule? rather than a source of joy, of true communion and refreshment. And so while Sunday might not be the new Sabbath, let us not marginalize Sunday in any way. Let us see how as we come together, we come together as those who are resting in Christ. That's what It says in Hebrews, right, that Jeff read for us this morning. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. That's odd, isn't it? 
Let us strive. Let us put forth effort. How do you do that? You're obedient to the word of God. There were those people who heard the word of God, particularly the people in the wilderness. They heard the word of the Lord, but they did not obey the word. They disobeyed. And so in God's wrath, he said, they shall not enter my rest. But we are not those people, Christians. We are those who have heard the word. And because we have heard the word, we have rested from our works. We've rested from those times when we want to try to nail down or secure our salvation because of the doubt that we have in our hearts and in our minds. Do you ever have that doubt? Do you ever have that question of assurance? What is it then in that moment that you need to do? I need to get busy. I need to do something. No, I need to rest in my true rest, Jesus Christ, who's done it all. Why is the doubt, why is, why is the doubt, how can the doubt be taken away? It's not by doing more, by getting busy. It's by going back to Christ, the Lord of our Sabbath, and saying, he has restored me, he has saved me, he is the one in whom I trust, and him and him alone. And just to be clear, what I am saying today is not a message of personal well-being. Oftentimes, that can be the only focus in church. I want to hear something from my personal well-being to make me feel better. And so that, that could be something that you want to hear today. You could be here and be, I need to hear that I need to rest, that I just need to take a break, that I just need to take it easy for a while, that I deserve a day off. Yes, I need to hear more about my personal well-being today. I'm not here offering more personal well-being. I'm here offering personal salvation. If you do not know Christ and you're looking for rest, the only rest that you need is a rest that God alone can provide. It's a rest that only comes through Jesus Christ, the Lord of the Sabbath. It's the only one who can restore restore you heart and mind and soul. It's only by casting yourself upon him who can remove your sin, redeem you, forgive you, and give you new life. And if you are a believer, are you striving to enter God's rest? Are you persevering in the faith? Have you ceased the spiritual strivings that accompany doubt Are you tasting of the enjoyment of rest that comes from his presence? And are you looking forward to the everlasting rest in glory? That's what it says in Hebrews. You can know this rest now, but there is more rest. There's better rest. There's eternal rest that is to come.
strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let's pray. Father, may your word do its work as the living and active sword. A sword that would cut out the sin. A sword that would pierce to convict. A sword that would show us who we truly are and give us what we truly need. Father, we realize that we are people in need. And all of what we need has been given to us in Christ. There's no other place to look. There is no one else to turn to. There is no other Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus Christ is our Lord of the Sabbath. And so, may our weary souls find their rest in him and in him alone. May you clear away confusion and give us eyes to see lenses that are biblical coming from your word. And may we live these lives as a proclamation to this world that there is life for the one who puts their faith and trust in Jesus. Pray this in his name. Amen.